0: Ladies and gentlemen, the distinguished author, Mr. Aldous Huxley.
1: Brave New World is a fantastic parable about the dehumanization of human beings. In the negative utopia described in my story, man has been subordinated to his own inventions. Science, technology, social organization, these things have ceased to serve man. They have become his masters. A quarter of a century has passed since the book was published. In that time, our world has taken so many steps in the wrong direction that if I were writing today, I would date my story not 600 years in the future, but at the most 200. The price of liberty and even of common humanity is eternal vigilance.
0: CBS Radio, a division of the Columbia Broadcasting System and its 217 affiliated stations, present the premier broadcast of the CBS Radio Workshop, radio's distinguished series dedicated to man's imagination, the theater of the mind. Tonight... Part one of two half-hour programs devoted to one of the world's most shocking and famous novels, Aldous Huxley's terrifying forecast of the future, Brave New World. We are proud to have Mr. Huxley as narrator for these broadcasts. Original music is composed and conducted by Bernard Herrmann.
1: Huxley, and these are the sounds of the brave new world of test tube and decanter, of hissing injectors and gurgling blood substitute. The year is AF 632, 632 years after Ford. We are inside the London Hatchery and Conditioning Centre, and this is the fertilizing room, an enormous laboratory where the temperature is never allowed to fall below 98.6. And here comes the director of hatcheries and conditioning in person, bringing with him a group Tomorrow, of young you students. Tomorrow will be settling
2: down to serious work. Today I just want to give you a general idea of things. Uh, these are the incubators, and here is the weak supply of ova, kept at blood heat. Uh, come along, boys. Now here we immerse the eggs into a warm bouillon containing free-swimming spermatozoa. Immersion continues until the eggs are all fertilized. Ah, and over here... Here is where we bottle the alphas and betas. In short, gentlemen, the perfect process for manufacturing healthy babies. Are there any questions? Uh, Sir, uh, will you explain the uh, Bakunovsky process? I'm glad you asked that. Uh, Students, take this down. Bakunovsky's process. Where in olden times one egg made one embryo which made one baby, today we've improved on all that. Now the egg will bud, will divide from 8 to 96 buds, and every bud will grow into a perfectly formed embryo, and every embryo into a mature baby, making 96 human beings grow where only one grew before. Progress! But uh, what advantage is it, sir? Uh, I mean... uh... Oh, my good boy, can't you see? Where in olden times nature allowed us only to have twins or perhaps triplets or so, today we can create scores, yes, scores of identical individuals. We can manufacture men and women in uniform batches. Think of it. An entire factory staffed with the product of one single egg. Ninety-six identical individuals working ninety-six identical machines. At last, society really knows where it stands. Remember, it was our Ford who gave us the concept of the assembly line when he was on Earth many centuries ago. And now, boys, we will go up to the bottling room... Where we shall see how we create each class of society: alphas, betas, deltas, etc. Come with me. Where, Lenina?
3: Oh, director.
2: Oh, charming, charming. Uh, what are you injecting into our embryos today, my dear? Typhoid antitoxins? Yes, sir. Are you, uh, busy this afternoon?
3: Oh, not after five, sir.
2: Good. Suppose we get together, then, on the roof. That would be fine. I've admired you for some time, Lenina. I'm looking forward to a closer acquaintance. Thank you, sir. And now, boys, we're off to the bottling room.
4: You are a lucky girl. The director of hatcheries and conditioning. Oh, hello, Fanny. Oh, you can trust the director to be the perfect gentleman. I saw him pat you. He wants me. You see? That shows what he stands for, the strictest conventionality. And it's about time you started belonging to someone else, my dear. But
3: I like Henry Foster. We've only been with each other four months. Four months? Well, what would the district
4: world controller say? You know how he disapproves anything intense or long-drawn. And it isn't as though there were anything painful or disagreeable about being with one or two other men besides Henry. After all, everyone belongs to everyone
3: else. You're quite right, Fanny, as usual. Good girl. Fanny, do you know Bernard Marks? <gasps> Bernard Mar- Why not? Bernard's an alpha plus. Besides, he asked me to go to New Mexico, to the Savage Reservation with him. But his reputation. They say he doesn't
4: like obstacle golf. Oh, they say, they say. And that he spends most of his time by himself alone. They say somebody made a mistake when he was still in the bottle. Thought he was a gamma and put alcohol into his blood substitute. That's why he's so stunted. Oh, what nonsense. Well, very well, Lenina. It's your life, my dear. But I think you're heading for trouble.
2: And here we have the bottling room. Little embryos carefully bottled being rocked gently to and fro as they did in olden days when carried by their mothers. (gasps) Now, boys, you must learn to distinguish between smut and science. I am going to use that word again. As scientists of tomorrow, you must learn to cope with it. Mother. Oh. There, that's better. As a matter of fact, there is an area in our world where humans are still viviparous, still give birth to their children. The Savage Reservation in New Mexico. I uh, visited there once myself many years ago. Dreadful, filthy place. Naturally, civilization has improved on all that. Ah, it is here we control the embryo's growth. Each batch carefully regulated to produce the exact class of citizen we desire. And here is our Mr. Henry Foster in charge of bottling. Oh, Henry. Uh, Yes, sir. Please explain the process to the students. Oh, delighted, sir. By the way, Henry, before you begin, I made a date with Lenina Crown this afternoon.
5: Oh, really? I'm delighted, sir. I'm sure you'll enjoy belonging to her. Good. Very pneumatic girl. Now, please proceed. This way, gentlemen. Here, we advance the process. One by one, the eggs are transferred from their test tubes into these larger decanters and moved along to the labelers. Carefully labeled as to heredity, date of fertilization, sex, name, serial number. Gentlemen, there are 88 cubic feet of card index in this room. Now, here is where we actually predestine and condition. Nothing is so unstabilizing to society as unhappy people. We avoid all that by preconditioning our embryos. And now we are entering the heat conditioning room. Hot tunnels alternating with cool tunnels. Exposure to cold is accompanied by exposure to x-rays. By the time these babies are decanted, they have a perfect horror of cold. Thus, they are perfectly prepared to emigrate to the tropics, to be miners and acetate silk spinners, and steel workers.
2: And that... That is the secret of happiness and virtue, liking what you have got to do. All conditioning aims at that, making people like their unescapable social destiny. Oh, ten to three, boys. Time to visit the nurseries.
1: And so the director continued on his tour. Meanwhile, in his rooms high above the city, Bernard Marx nervously paced the floor.
6: I'm taking Lenina Crown in New Mexico with me, Helmholtz, to the Savage Reservation. Well, it's about time. What
0: do you mean by that? I'll be frank, Bernard. There's been a lot of talk about your behavior at the College of Emotional Engineering. Of course, I've been defending you. you know, I'm but... supposed to be grateful because you're a successful feelies writer, because you're tall, well-built, have all the girls you want? Oh, Bernard... Now, you know how I feel. I want to write. I mean, seriously, not slogans or feelies. I, I want to write something important. Uh-huh. Lately, I've been cutting out my committees and my girls. The director called me in just the other day.
6: Are you in trouble, too?
0: There's a poem I wrote. Too emotional, he said. Mm. He gave me the lecture about being an Alpha Plus, about remembering to behave even as a little infant.
6: I know. I tried to explain to Lenina, but she doesn't understand, or won't understand. All those other men she belongs to, Henry Foster, Benito Hoover,
0: they treat her like like a side of beef. It's disgusting. It's socially proper. We share and we share alike, remember? But I want her for myself, alone. Bernard, you're my closest friend. Now, you listen to me. You can't win this way. Follow the rules. Play the game. Be happy.
1: The nursery was on the fifth floor. The sign over the door said, Neo Pavlovian conditioning room. It was a large bare room, very bright and sunny. Half a dozen nurses, trousered and jacketed in the regulation white viscose linen uniform, were engaged in setting out bowls of roses in a long row across the floor. The nurses stiffened to attention as the director of hatcheries and conditioning came in, followed by his students. Set out the books. In silence, the nurses obeyed his command. Between the rose bowls, the books were duly set out.
2: Now bring in the children.
1: They hurried out of the room and returned in a moment, each pushing a kind of tall, dumb waiter, laden on all its four wire-netted shelves, with eight-month-old babies, all exactly alike, a Bokonovsky group, and all, since their caste was Delta, dressed in khaki diapers.
2: Put them down on the floor. Now turn them so they can see the flowers and
1: books. Turned, the babies at once fell silent, then began to crawl towards those clusters of sleek colours, those shapes so gay and brilliant. From the ranks of the babies came little squeals of excitement, gurgles and twitterings of pleasure. The swiftest crawlers were already at their goal. Small hands reached out uncertainly, touched, grasped, unpetaling the roses, crumpling the illuminated pages of the books.
2: Watch carefully, students. All right, nurses, pull the lever. (laughs) And now we proceed to rub in the lesson with a mild electric shock. That's enough. All right, take them away, nurses. Observe. Henceforth, books and flowers will be associated in their minds with loud unpleasant noises and electric shock. And after 200 repetitions of the same or a similar lesson, will be wedded forever. What man has joined, nature is powerless to put asunder. They'll be safe from books and botany all their lives.
7: Uh, But,
2: sir, uh, since these are lower-caste children anyway and will never read, why bother to condition them against flowers? Simple economics. If gammas, deltas, or even epsilons like flowers and nature, soon you'd see them wasting their time visiting the countryside. And of what economic use is that? A love of nature keeps no factories busy. (laughs) It was decided to abolish it, at least among the lower classes. Uh, Any further questions? Uh, Sir, uh, would you tell us about sleep teaching? I'm glad you asked that. The most ingenious development of all, sleep teaching, is given to all our children as they grow to maturity. A little voice murmurs slogans in their ear all the night long while they sleep. Of course, it's useless for teaching, but as a method for giving post-hypnotic suggestions, it is invaluable. It's what conditions our minds to love our future role in life. Now, boys, uh, tell me some of the lessons we've all learned through sleep teaching. A gram is better than a dam. A good example. We have learned to take a gram of soma whenever we feel out of sorts. Euphoric, narcotic, pleasantly hallucinant. It transports our minds into a beautiful sleep filled with wonderful images. It gives a, a soma holiday, thus preventing unnecessary impulses such as anger, jealousy, envy, anxiety. Um... Next. Uh, ending is better than mending. Good. It's better to throw away something than to repair it. New clothing, new possessions, keep our factories humming and make us happier. Next. I'm glad I'm not a gamma. Ah, yes. We're all taught in our sleep to enjoy our own caste, whatever it may be. Gammas are taught to think I'm glad I'm not an epsilon. Betas learn to be glad they're not deltas or gammas. And glad they're not alphas because we alphas sometimes have to use our minds, and that's very painful. <laughs> that's very good, very good indeed. Well, students, I think our tour is over for today. I'm sure most of you have dates with pneumatic young ladies. Some, of course, will be wanting to get in a game of obstacle golf. But uh, before we finish, I'd like to add a few footnotes to the things you've seen today. Today, we have a controlled society, a happy society. We have stability Ah, there was a time when these things did not exist. Didn't people grow old and feeble in those days, sir? Indeed they did. Old men in the bad old days used to renounce, retire, take to religion, spend their time reading, thinking, thinking. Now such is progress. At 60, we have the tastes and the powers of a 17-year-old. The old men have no time, no leisure from pleasure. Not a moment to sit down and think. They're much too busy scampering from feely to feely, from girl to pneumatic girl. Fortunate boys, no pains have been spared to make your lives emotionally easy, to preserve you as far as possible from having emotions at all. Fords in his fliver, all's well with the world.
0: Fords in his fliver, all's well with the world.
1: And solemnly and devoutly they made the sign of the T and hurried off to join their fellow-citizens at play. In spite of Fanny's dire warnings, Lenina Crown made a date that evening with the eccentric Mr. Marx, partly to show Fanny her courage and partly because she was curious. When they were safely in their helicopter and climbing above the city, she turned to him.
3: Shall we play Escalator Squash or go to the feelies?
1: Escalator Squash is a waste of time.
3: But what else is time for? All right, then, let's go to the feelies. You know, they're showing love on a bearskin rug and everyone says it's terribly exciting. You can actually feel... Lenina, please, couldn't we
6: just go for a walk and be alone together?
3: But Bernard, we'll be alone all night.
6: Well, I, I, I meant alone for talking...
3: Talking? What about? Oh, you're beginning to feel nasty, I can tell. Take a soma, Bernard. I'd
6: rather be myself. Myself and nasty, not somebody else, however jolly.
3: A gam in nine saves nine.
6: Oh, for Ford's sake, be quiet.
3: Bernard. Lenita,
6: don't you ever want to be just you? Not enslaved by your own conditioning to be free?
3: But I am free. I'm free to have the most wonderful time. Everybody's happy nowadays. But
6: wouldn't you like to be free to be happy in your own way and not somebody else's?
3: I simply don't understand you. Bernard, do you really like me? Everyone says I'm awfully pneumatic. (laughs)
1: Eventually, Bernard took Lenina to the Westminster Abbey Cabaret, where Calvin Stopes and his 16 saxophonists were playing. Also featured was London's finest scent and colour organ and all the latest synthetic music. With the aid of four Soma tablets, Bernard managed to spend a successful evening with the girl, and the next morning he agreed to apply at once for a permit to visit the Savage Reservation. He was quite nervous as he stood before the large desk of the director of hatcheries and conditioning.
2: Ah, going to take Lenina Crown, I see. Yes, sir. Very pneumatic. Uh, uh, Yes, sir. New Mexico Reservation. How long ago was it? Let me see. Twenty, twenty-five years? Hmm. I must have been your age then. Uh, Sir? I had the same idea as you. Wanted to have a look at the savages. Got a permit for New Mexico and went there for my summer holiday. With my girl of the moment she was a beta minus i think oh yes she had yellow hair and was especially pneumatic well it was terrible we rode about on horses and all that and, and the last day of our stay she got lost somewhere in those horrid mountains lost we never did find her poor girl must have fallen in some crevice yes we searched for days but no luck Ugh. miserable trip oh, you must have had a terrible shock Oh, don't imagine there was anything unethical about it, nothing emotional or long-drawn. It was all perfectly healthy and normal.
6: I'm sure it was, sir.
2: What's that? Oh. Mr. Marks, I should like to take this opportunity of saying I'm not at all pleased with the reports I receive of your behaviour outside working hours. Alphas are so conditioned that they do not have to be infantile in their emotional behaviour, but that is all the more reason for their making a special effort to conform. And so, Mr. Marks, I give you fair warning. Uh, yes, sir. If ever I again hear of any lapse from a proper standard of infantile decorum, I shall ask for your transference to a sub preferably to Iceland. Good morning.
1: The journey was quite uneventful. The Blue Pacific rocket lost four minutes in a tornado over Texas but was able to land at Santa Fe less than 40 seconds behind schedule. Lenina and Bernard slept that night at Santa Fe, and Lenina was very happy.
3: Imagine 60 escalator squash racket courts in the hotel and obstacle and electromagnetic golf, too. Oh, Bernard, it's simply too lovely. Uh, There
6: will be no scent organs, television, or even hot water once we get out on the reservation.
3: I can stand it. You'll see. Only... Progress is lovely,
1: isn't it? They took a rocket ship into the interior, and from there they travelled on horseback. And all Bernard could think about was Iceland, and how cold and barren it would be. The director's warning had made him even quieter and more sullen than usual. And then, that evening, they reached their destination. Before them was the village of Malpais, situated on a mesa. Adobe hovels growing out of the stony ground, dust and squalor and the smell of wood smoke.
3: What an awful place. I don't like it. Who's that man coming toward us?
1: He's to be our guide.
3: I'm frightened, Bernard. Quiet. We shouldn't have come.
8: Oh, good morrow. You're civilized, aren't you? You come from
6: outside, from the other place? My name is Bernard Marks. This is Lenina Crown.
8: Hmm. My name is John. Come with me.
3: He speaks English, that's strange.
8: Probably trained as a guide.
3: Where is he leading us?
8: To
6: that hut, I believe. Uh, There seems to be some sort of activity over there.
3: Porgy, porgy, why, it's like our lower caste community sing. Only look, now they're beating themselves with whips. Oh, no, Bernard.
6: It's got something to do with their religion. What a wonderful intensity of feeling it must generate. I often think one may have missed something in not having passions like that.
3: Nonsense. Bernard, what's wrong with that man?
6: Where? Oh, he's just old, that's all.
3: Old? But but we don't look like that when we're old. He's so wrinkled. So. Oh, it's horrible.
6: That's because we age all at once. We stay 17 until we're 60 or so, and. And then, then we
3: die, and they burn our bodies and recover the phosphorus for the good of the world state, just as it should be. But this.
6: <gasps> what is it?
3: That. That woman? Oh, Bernard, no. Take me away. Take me away. She's only
6: nursing her baby, Lenina. That's her child. She's the mother.
3: Bernard, how can you be so vulgar? I think I'll be sick. Please, Bernard, anywhere. Anywhere. Is
6: something wrong? I think we'd better take Lenina (sighs) inside. Over here. Follow me.
3: My Soma. I'm out of Soma. Bernard.
6: I'm sorry, Lenina. I didn't bring any. Here.
8: Inside. This is my home. This is my home. You are welcome to remain here.
9: John? John?
8: Yes, Mother? Mother? These are people from the outside, Mother. They have come to see the reservation.
9: From the other place? You're from the other place. Don't come near me. But don't you see I'm from there, too? I'm civilized. I don't belong here. It's it's all a terrible mistake. This
8: is my mother, Linda. Uh, were you born here?
9: no. No, I tell you, I was decanted like normal people. Oh, thank Ford, someone has come. At last, thank Ford. Bernard, Bernard, please keep her away. Could you
6: tell us about yourself, please?
9: Well, I came here 25 years ago with a man. His name was Thomas. We went riding together on on horses. There was a terrible storm. I got lost, lost in this horrible place. It was the last day of our stay. He left me here. Alone. Well, Annina, Yes?
6: Uh, you will be interested to know that our director of hatcheries and conditioning is named Thomas, and that he came here 25 no. years ago.
3: Oh, no, no. And that. It can't be.
6: But it is. Well, he told me so himself. <laughs> what a discovery. This boy. This boy is our director's son. Our director is a father. Oh, it's
3: too horrible.
7: <laughs>
8: mother, what is he saying?
6: <laughs> Iceland. Iceland, indeed.
3: Bernard, stop it.
6: Well, we'll see who tells who where to go now. Uh, John. Yes, sir? How would you and your mother like to return to civilization?
9: Do you mean it? Oh, please, do you? Listen, they're crazy here. I was a beta minus. I always worked in the fertilizing room. I was a good worker. But how can I tell them? They don't understand. They mend things. They don't know what a helicopter is or, or or Soma. They have babies, like dogs. Oh, it's too revolting. Oh, thank Ford. If it hadn't been for my son, for John, what a comfort he has been to me. Your son, how can you? You were beta minus. I know, I know, but he's been a comfort to me just the same. If only I'd had Soma or, Oh, do you mean it? Will you take us back to civilization?
6: Of course. (laughs) Uh, We'll leave tomorrow. (laughs) You and your son, back to civilization.
1: And Bernard was as good as his word. That very night, he and John and his mother and Lenina took the Blue Pacific rocket to London. For Lenina, it was a happy trip since she had taken four somers the minute they got back to the hotel. For John, it was a voyage of discovery. Poor Linda, his mother, could only weep for joy. But for Bernard, it was a moment of triumph. Triumph such as he had never known before. (laughs)
0: Brave New World, Part One, by Aldous Huxley. A startling, shocking account of what can happen to our civilization 600 years in the future. And more importantly, a warning to all of us against the destruction of moral standards, family life, and the soul of man. Join us next week when we will continue with Part Two of Aldous Huxley's terrifying forecast of the future of what could become the Brave New World. Presented on the CBS Radio Workshop. The CBS Radio Workshop is produced and directed by William Frug. Brave New World was adapted for radio by Mr. Frug. Featured in the cast were Joseph Kearns, Bill Idelson, Gloria Henry, Charlotte Lawrence, Byron Kane, Sam Edwards, Jack Crucian, Vic Perrin, and Lorene Tuttle. Original music composed and conducted by Bernard Herrmann. This is the CBS Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, the distinguished author, Mr. Aldous Huxley.
1: Brave New World is a study of the future as it may be unless we are extremely careful. It depicts a society in which man has replaced nature by science, morality by drugs, individuality by total conformity. It is a hideous prospect, yet we seem determined to follow this path of self-destruction. But brave new world need not be our future. The choice, after all, is always in our own hands. CBS Radio,
0: a division of the Columbia Broadcasting System and its 217 affiliated stations present the CBS Radio Workshop, radio's distinguished series dedicated to man's imagination. The Theater of the Mind. Tonight, part two of two half hour programs devoted to one of the world's most shocking and famous novels Aldous Huxley's terrifying forecast of the future, Brave New World. And we are proud to once again have Mr. Huxley as our narrator. Original music is composed and conducted by Bernard Herman.
1: This is Aldous Huxley. In the garden outside the London Hatchery and Conditioning Centre, it was playtime. Naked in the warm June sunshine, six or seven hundred little boys and girls were running with shrill yells over the lawns or playing games or squatting silently in twos and threes among the flowering shrubs. And strolling across the smooth turf came the director of hatcheries and conditioning, followed eagerly by a group of new students.
2: And here we have playtime for our little tots. Notice the games, all carefully constructed to use as many mechanical devices as possible. In olden times, children used to play simple games using only a ball and a bat. (laughs) madness! Nothing was added to increase consumption. Then came our Ford. He taught us the principle of mass production in the assembly line many centuries ago and changed all that. Hello, Good morning, Director. Sir, what an unexpected pleasure. Boys, this is the resident controller for Western Europe. This is his Ford ship, Mustafa Monde. Boys? Good morning, morning, sir. Good morning, I was just showing the students the children, sir. Lovely children, busy as bees at their unrestricted play. Controller, if you have the time, I wonder if you might tell the students something about the bad old days. I might. Where are you taking them? To the Hatchery and Conditioning Center to see the manufacturing of the babies. Very
10: well, I'll walk along with you. Ah. Yes, in the old days, children lived in a place called home a rabbit hole with suffocating intimacies. Maniacally, the mother... uh, Please don't be shocked at that word. The mother brooded over her children. Her children. Our Ford, or our Freud, as for some inscrutable reason he chose to call himself whenever he spoke of psychological matters, our Freud was the first to reveal the appalling dangers of family life. Unpleasant as they may seem, students... These are facts. People used to be viviparous, gave birth to their children. What were the consequences? A world dominated by mothers and fathers was a world full of every kind of perversion, from sadism to chastity.
2: There were also husbands, wives, and lovers. Now everyone belongs to everyone else. Thank Ford for progress. Yes, thank Ford. Ford. Actually,
10: we still preserve a few outmoded ethics of
2: pre-stable societies in our savage reservations. Did you ever visit a reservation, Director? Yes, I once went to look at the savages in New Mexico. Well, that must have been 25 years ago. Mother's, father's marriage. Oh, very repulsive. Yes. Well, here we are. I'll say goodbye. Goodbye, Controller, and thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you sir. You're welcome. And now, boys, if you'll follow me inside the hatchery. And here we are, a hive of activity. Alphas superintending, betas doing the skilled work, gammas in green, busy at routine jobs, and deltas in khaki, incapable of doing anything except sweeping the floor. Every member of society perfectly content to belong to his predestined caste. Except for a few criminal exceptions, which reminds me. One of those criminal exceptions is meeting us here at 11. An alpha plus, no less. Mr. Bernard Marks. What has he done, sir? What has he done? He refuses to participate in mechanical sports. He is lax. He... Ah, here he comes now. Good morning, Director. Mr. Marks. You and Elena Crown returned from the Savage Reservation last night, I understand. Yes,
6: sir. Uh, We visited some of the places you told me about last week, Director. In
2: fact, Uh, we met... Your attention, please. Everyone step this way. If I have interrupted your labors, it is because a painful duty constrains me. This man who stands before you, this Alpha Plus, the highest level of society, has grossly betrayed the trust imposed in him. By his heretical views on sports and Soma, by his scandalous refusal to be promiscuous, he has proved himself an enemy of society, a subverter, ladies and gentlemen, of all order and stability, a conspirator against civilization itself. For this reason, I am ordering his immediate transference to a subcenter of the lowest order. In Iceland, he will have small opportunity to lead others astray by his unfordly example. Bernard Marks, can you show any reason why I should not now execute the judgment passed upon you? Yes,
6: I can. What did you say? You told me you visited the Savage Reservation 25 years ago, Director, with a young beta minus, I believe. Uh, you told me she was lost during a storm and that you returned without her. I thought perhaps you'd like to see her again. Linda! Linda!
9: Thomas! Thomas! Oh, Thomas, it's me. Don't you remember? You're Linda. Oh, I knew I'd recognize you, Thomas. You look just the same. No one ages here. Thomas, look at me. I'm Linda. Remember? Hug me. Hold me.
2: What is the meaning of this? Who is this hag?
9: Thomas. Oh, Thomas, it's Linda. Linda, you're beta minus. John, look, it's him. It's your father. Father.
2: Father. What's the meaning of this disgusting joke? Who is this savage and this dreadful woman? Take them away. It isn't
9: a joke. It's absolutely true. I'm his mother and you're the father.
8: Father, it's me, John. I'm your son. <laughs> and now, now who is guilty of
6: antisocial
0: behavior, director? Oh, no. No, no,
6: no,
7: no.
1: A father as director of hatcheries. It was out of the question. The controller asked for his resignation. And all upper caste London was wild to see the savage and his mother. Bernard Marx became a hero. And even Lenina Crown had her share of reflected glory.
3: Good morning, Lenina. Oh, good morning, Fanny. Well, you certainly seem pleased with yourself. Yes, I am pleased. Bernard called up half an hour ago. He has to go to a party at the Controllers, and he asked me if I'd take the Savage to the Feely's this evening. Oh, lucky girl. What's he like, Lenina? I've heard he's terribly good-looking. Oh, he is, but so very odd in what way? Well, the day Bernard and I left the reservation, the savage came into my room. I'd taken a soma, so I didn't notice him, until suddenly I awakened, and there he was bending over me. What happened? Well, naturally, I assumed something was going to happen, but instead of that, he just ran out of the room. Well, how odd. What a terribly ungentlemanly thing to do. Doesn't he like you? Oh, I'm sure he does, so I can't make it out. And, oh, please don't tell this to anyone, Fanny... It upsets me, because I like him. I mean, I really like him. (gasps) Lenina! I know it's immoral, but I just can't help myself. I do like him.
1: The days passed. Success went fizzily to Bernard's head. His diffidence turned to bumptiousness. His nonconformity was forgotten... And he became completely orthodox. The resident world controller appointed him official escort for the savage and asked him to make regular reports on the young man's reactions to civilization. This Bernard did assiduously.
6: Today I sent the savage to the feelies with Lenina Crown. The feature was three weeks in a helicopter. Instead of holding the knobs on the chair arms, thus enabling him to experience the sensations of the lovers on the screen, the savage refused to participate. Lenina tells me he called the film vulgar and indecent. The savage refuses to take Soma and seems most distressed because the woman, Linda, his uh, M-O-T-H-E-R, remains permanently on Soma holiday. Uh, In spite of her senility and the extreme repulsiveness of her appearance, uh, the savage frequently goes to see her and appears much attached to her.
8: mean you refuse to come down to dinner bernard i'm sick i've eaten civilization
6: and i'm sick do you realize that i've invited the most important people in london tonight the ford chief justice is here the arch community Songster of canterbury has flown in just
8: to meet you you've changed bernard you used to feel the way i do about things i talked to helmholtz watson he says you've changed too i haven't Listen, if you don't come downstairs for my dinner party, I'll be the laughingstock of London. I'll come. Just let me read this to you first. Hmm? One day, many years ago, I found this book in my mother's room. One of the Indians had found it in a cave. It must be hundreds of years old.
7: Hmm.
8: It's called The Complete Works of William Shakespeare.
6: Oh, I've heard of him. We don't allow it. Smut.
8: But... He says all the things I feel about Lenina. Listen to this. Mm -hmm. Is there no pity sitting in the clouds that sees into the bottom of my grief? Oh, sweet my mother, cast me not away. Delay this marriage for a month, a week. (laughs) Marriage? Oh, Ford, no. Bernard. (laughs) Oh, marriage, that's
6: too good, really. Bernard, stop it. (laughs) And, And mother, oh, sweet my mother... Oh, he's positively vulgar. You stop oh, wait it. Wait till I tell Helmholtz about this. Stop it or I'll hit you. Oh, come now, where's your sense of humor? Bernard. Can't you see how funny it is? Get out!
8: I said leave me alone. I,
6: I, I'm leaving, John, I'm leaving.
8: How beauteous mankind is. Oh, brave new world that has such people in it.
1: The next morning, a pneumatic young girl, crisply clad in a beta-minus viscose linen suit, stood outside the door of the savages' apartment and somewhat nervously rang the buzzer. Lenina.
3: You don't seem very glad to see me, John.
1: Not
8: glad. Oh, if you only knew.
3: May I come in, then?
8: May I kiss your hand, Lenina?
3: My hand?
8: Admired, Lenina. Indeed, the top of admiration, worth what's dearest in the world. I wanted to do something first to show I was worthy of you.
3: What are you talking about?
8: Lanina, tell me something. I'll do anything you tell me, anything at all. I'd sweep the floor if you wanted.
3: But we've got vacuum cleaners here. It isn't necessary.
8: No, of course it isn't necessary. But some kinds of baseness are nobly undergone. I, I'd like to undergo something noble. Just to show you how much I love you, Lenina.
3: <gasps> do you mean it, John?
8: Yes, but I hadn't meant to say it. Not until I... Listen, Lenina, on the reservation, people get married. Get what? For always. They make a promise to live together for always.
3: What a disgusting idea. Answer me this question, John. Do you really like me or don't you?
8: I love you more than anything in the world.
3: Well, then, why on earth didn't you say so? Come here to me, John. Hug me. Oh,
8: but, Lenina...
3: Hug me till you drug me, honey. Kiss me till I'm in a coma.
8: Lenina, what are you doing? No, no, get away from me. Don't come near me.
3: Hug me, honey. You, you strumpet. A gram is better than a dad. Get out. But don't you want get me? Get out of my sight. Oh, John.
8: Before I kill you.
3: Well, he's
9: mad. He's gone mad.
8: Oh thou weed, who art so lovely fair and smellst so sweet that the sense aches at thee Impudent strumpet, impudent trumpet, impudent strumpet. <coughs> Hello. Yes, this is Mr. Savage. Who's ill? Linda. My mother dying. Yes, yes, I'll come at once.
11: Welcome to the Park Lane Hospital for the Dying. You've come to see someone in the galloping senility ward?
8: Yes, my mother.
11: Oh, how vulgar.
8: You know who I mean, Linda.
11: Oh oh yes room 43 bed 16 she'll be dying any minute now this way please
8: is there any hope
11: well of course not or else she wouldn't have been sent here through these doors <laughs>
8: What are these children doing here?
11: Death conditioning, of course. It starts at 18 months. Every tot spends two mornings a week in a hospital for the dying. All the best toys are kept here, and they get chocolate ice cream on death days. They learn to take dying as a matter of course. This way. Oh, here we are. Well, I must go. I've got my batch of children coming. Time for their chocolate ice cream.
8: Linda? Linda, it's John. Your eyes are open, but you don't know me, do you? It's John, your son. Linda? Linda, don't you know me?
9: Hug me till you drug me, honey. Kiss me till I'm in a coma.
8: <gasps> Linda Linda oh. Mother
1: <laughs> The menial staff of the Park Lane Hospital for the Dying consisted of 162 deltas, 84 red-headed female twins, and 78 identical mongoloid male twins. At six, when their working day was over, the two groups assembled in the vestibule of the hospital and were served their daily soma ration. It was into this crowd that the savage walked, so overcome with his grief and his remorse that he did not realize he was shouldering his way into the gathering throng.
2: All right, here it is. Soma distribution. In good order, please. Oh, hurry up there. Stand in line for your Soma.
1: Linda. Linda
8: died because of this. Oh, now, don't grab this enough for everybody. One gram for
2: an evening's delight, two for a trip to the gorgeous east, and four for a weekend in paradise.
8: How beauteous mankind is. How oh, brave new world that has such people in it. Stop! Stop! Ford is a savage. Listen, I beg you, lend me your ears. Don't take that horrible stuff. It's poison. Mr. Savage, please. The people are waiting. You're slaves, all of you. Don't you want to be men?
6: Don't you want freedom? Freedom? Ford almighty, call the police.
1: From somewhere behind the milling, angry crowd, Bernard Marx saw the savage. He and his friend, Helmholtz Watson, had been searching for John. Now they hurried forward. Helmholtz, he's mad. They'll lynch him. Oh, Ford, help
0: us. Ford, help those who help themselves, Bernard. Come on. Where are you going? Come back. It's a fight, a real fight. I've been waiting all my life for this. Man, at last. I'll
6: make
8: you free whether you want to be or not. Give me those soma boxes. Sir, Mr. Savage, no. Stop it. Helmholtz. Join me. Yeah.
6: Throw the poison pills away. By all means, throw them away.
5: Stop it. Freedom!
7: Be men and be free! <laughs> Over here, officers, this freedom. way. Give them the summer spray. Freedom!
8: Stand up as men. Win your freedom. Summer, summer spray. Win John, you're done. You take
2: them to the We're... resident controller's office. All right. All right. It's all over. We're all happy now. We're so happy. We all love each other, don't we? Oh, yes. We all love each other. Line up for your soma.
10: So, you don't much like civilization, Mr. Savage?
6: No, I don't.
5: John,
10: you're
6: talking to the resident controller.
10: We don't need your comments, Mr. Marks. I think civilization is horrible. And yet, people are happy. They get what they want, and they never want what they can't get. They're well off. They're safe. They're never ill. They're not afraid of death. They're blissfully ignorant of passion and old age. They're plagued with no mother or father. They've got no wives or children to feel strongly about. They're so conditioned that they practically can't help behaving as they ought to behave. (laughs) And you ask them to chuck this all away for liberty? My good boy. All the same, it seems quite horrible to me. Of course it does. Actual happiness always looks pretty squalid in comparison with the overcompensations for misery. And being contented has none of the glamour of a good fight against misfortune. Happiness is never
8: grand. They call this happiness? Working at an embryo assembly line, manufacturing babies? Science, my boy. Besides, they like
10: it. Well, Mr. Marks, the time has come. You are being sent
6: to an island. To to an island? Oh, please, sir. Don't send me to Iceland. I promise I'll do what I should. I'll conform to the rules. One would think he was going
10: to have his throat cut, whereas if he had the smallest sense, he'd understand his punishment is really a reward. He'll be sent to an island where he'll meet the most interesting set of men and women in the world. All the people who weren't satisfied with orthodoxy. Everyone in a word who's anyone. Then why didn't you go to an island yourself? Because, finally, I preferred this. Sometimes I regret it. Happiness is a hard master, particularly other people's happiness. Well, gentlemen, there are many islands available. Which climate do you choose, Mr. Watson?
0: Well, I should like a thoroughly bad climate. I think I'd write better if I had to contend with difficulties.
10: How about the Falkland Islands? That would be
0: fine. Good.
10: You may leave now. You too, Mr. Marks.
8: Uh, Goodbye, Helmholtz. Goodbye, Bernard. Goodbye, John. Goodbye, John. One more question. Of course. Where is God in this scheme of yours? It's a subject that has always had a great interest for me.
10: You've never read this, of course, the Holy Bible, New and Old Testaments. We've got quite a few revolting old books like that here. But if you know about God, why don't you tell the people? Well, this book is old. It's about God hundreds of years ago. Not God now. But God doesn't change. Men do, though. No, my friend, call it the fault of civilization. God isn't compatible with machinery and scientific medicine and universal happiness.
8: But when you're alone... It's natural to believe in God when you're quite alone in the night, thinking about death. But people are never alone now. We make them hate
10: solitude, and we arrange their lives so that it's almost impossible for them ever to have it.
8: No solitude, no God. Is that why there's no self-denial here, no God, no reason for it? Of course. Industry
10: and prosperity are only possible when there is no self-denial. If there were, the worth of wheels would stop turning. But God's the reason for everything noble and fine and heroic. My dear young friend, civilization has absolutely no need for nobility or heroism. Your condition so that you can't help doing what you ought to do. And what you ought to do is, on the whole, so pleasant. So many of the natural impulses are allowed free play that there really aren't any temptations to resist. Anybody can be virtuous now. No temptations, no inconveniences. But I like
8: the inconveniences. We don't. We prefer to do things comfortably. But I don't want comfort. I want God. I want poetry. I want real danger. I want freedom. I want goodness. I want sin. In fact,
10: you're claiming the right to be unhappy. All right. I'm claiming the right to be unhappy. Not to mention the right to grow old and ugly and impotent, the right to have cancer, the right to have too little to eat, the right to live in constant apprehension of what may happen tomorrow, the right to be tortured by unspeakable pains of every kind.
8: I claim them all.
10: You're welcome.
1: Bernard and Helmholtz left for their islands but the savage was not allowed to go with them. The controller wished to continue the experiment. Three weeks later, the savage ran away. After some days of wandering, he took refuge in an abandoned lighthouse. But his desire for solitude was not to be fulfilled. His hiding place was discovered. There were articles in the papers. Sightseers came by the thousands. One Sunday, Lenina Crown came for a picnic with three of her latest boyfriends. The day after her visit, two young reporters came to call, hoping for an exclusive interview. The door of the lighthouse was ajar. They pushed it open and walked into a shuttered twilight. Through an archway on the further side of the room... They could see the bottom of the staircase that led up to the higher floors. Just under the crown of the arch dangled a pair of feet. They called. No one answered. They saw him. At last the savage had found solitude. He was alone, quite alone. (laughs)
0: Thus concludes Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. We wish to thank Mr. Huxley for appearing on these broadcasts as our narrator. And uh, we would also like to thank you, our listeners, for your enthusiastic response to this new series. This is William Conrad inviting you to join us again next week when we present George Stewart's dramatic account of one of nature's most terrifying phenomena, storm. The following week, listeners Dr. Frank C. Baxter interviews William Shakespeare. Presented on the CBS Radio Workshop. The CBS Radio
8: Workshop is produced and directed by William Frug. Brave New World was adapted for radio by Mr. Frug. Featured in the cast were Joseph Kearns, Herb Butterfield, Bill Idelson, Gloria Henry, Charlotte Lawrence, Parley Bear, Doris Singleton, Jack Crucian, Vic Perrin, and Lorene Tuttle. Original music composed and conducted by Bernard Herman. America listens most to
0: the CBS Radio Network.